everybody doing this morning? Yeah. Hey, uh, my name is Rashad Cunningham. I'm a pastor here at uh, Mercy Road. I am so thankful to see all the many faces here. Can we just give it up for what God is doing here at Mercy Road in general and what he's been doing? Amen, right? And then can we also give it up for those who are online? What's up, Christopher? What's up, Holly? Nathan? Give it up for the online family. Come on. Hey, I do this thing every time that I start preaching. Um, I'm going to say good morning, Mercy Road. You're going to say good morning, Rashad. We do this not for me. We do this to make sure that you're ready for the word of God. we got a lot of texts that we're looking at as well. We're in the book of Genesis continuing this amazing sermon series. So I'm going to say good morning, Mercy Road. I want to make sure that your energy's in the room. Good morning, Mercy Road. That was actually excellent, um, but I'm spoiled. Let's do it again. Good morning, Mercy Road. Good morning, Rashad. All right, so um, last service, I, I attempted to add another verse to the Father Abraham remix. Um, it didn't work, so we're not doing that again. It didn't work at all. I'm sorry. I, and plus, I was like literally doing it on the spot, and I just I, I didn't get I'll try it. I'll try it. So we made a remix for those of you who weren't, last, uh, weren't here last week. Um, we're dealing with my messed up family, and we wanted to just bring everybody to a common playing field to understand, like, not only do we all have messed up families, but Father Abraham had a messed up family. So the first verse went like this. It's a remix, y'all. It's a remix. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, but the first time he created life, he did it with someone who wasn't his wife, <laughs> and that led to a lot of drama between his wife and his baby mama. <laughs> this is just getting worse, right? <laughs> See, Father Abraham is just like you and me, because he had a messed up family. Now, I'm going to try to do verse 2. I made it up on the spot, so I may not get it again. We're going to try it. If you don't get it this time, go watch. Uh, you should have been here for the 9 a.m. like we ask you every week. That's what you get. No. <laughs> Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. But the one that was promised was Isaac, and I couldn't think of anything wrong with Isaac. So, <laughs> so when it was time for him to find his son a wife, he had his servant put his hand under his thigh. Now that seems strange to you and me, but that's not why he has a messed up family. <laughs> <laughs> then he sent his servant to his hometown to find a wife who could hold the family down. He didn't want a woman from the promised land because he knew that that wasn't God's plan. Um, then what did I say? I have no clue what I said after that. And, and, and so, no, no, I think I finished up like this. Oh, I said, so this week we'll be talking about dating, a little marriage, and some parenting too. This is the My Messed Up Family series, and this is week number two. That's all I got. That's all I got. That's right. Third service probably won't get any of that. I really have tried. So we are in week number two. First and foremost, I want to say thank you for last week. Um, you brought the facades down. You let go of the veneer Christianity. And we saw people by like the hundreds just coming down and really um, writing on those prayer cards that we've been praying over, uh, really forgiving and repenting of the things that are going on with their lives. And so we, we just we thank you for allowing us into that time of intimacy. We're going to move into the next generation. We're moving from Abraham into Isaac now. And we're going to be talking about dating and marriage and parenting. And I just got to say this on the front end. There's so much scripture in Genesis, and the chapter that we're starting in, chapter 24, is the longest chapter in Genesis. Let me just say this. I can't preach 
four chapters in 30 minutes. I can barely preach four verses in 30 minutes when I'm really doing what I want to do, right? So you have to go home and read. You have to see what God wants to say to you in the scriptures. Our responsibility on Sunday mornings is to give you like an appetizer, right? To kind, of, to kind of give you an introduction or an overview of what's in there so that you go home and actually want to experience God for yourself. So I'm begging you, I'm begging you, please go home and read your Bibles because there's so much more than what I can give you in 20, 25 minutes, especially after I do like a little rhyme thing in the beginning, right? All right, so let's get busy. Let's get into this. We're going to be in chapter 24. Uh, We're going to start just reading verses 1 through 9. It says, Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, Please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Then Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying to your descendants, I will give you this land. He will send this angel before you and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Now, a lot of text there. It's about like nine verses to get this thing started off. But what I want you to notice is that uh, when he says, when he, when in, in, in verse five, when the servant is like, hey, suppose this woman is not willing to follow me. In verse seven, Abraham says, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth and who spoke to me and swore to me saying, your descendants, I will give this land. He will send this angel before you. So Abraham is already under the mindset that God is going to be the one that's putting this thing together, right? And so um, we want to start off with the dating part of this. Chapter 24 is going to be about the dating. So even if you're married, there's some things that you could take from this. And my first point is this. When you date, you need to date to discover what God is doing. You need to be dating to actually discover what God is doing. Abraham sent his servant out, and his servant probably would have been Eleazar from chapter 15, who was like the top in his household among the servants. But none of that really matters right this moment. He sends him out. He wants somebody that is from his hometown, and we're going to get into the reasons why. But he's saying God will already go out before you. God is ahead of you. I just want you to discover what God has already got from my son. I'm not worried about your doubts and all this. God is the one that's going to put this thing together. And so we get to verse 10, and look what the servant does. The servant took 10 camels from the camels of his master. And that's kind of important because camels were very, very rare and weren't really as domesticated um, as they are in some places of the, of the world now. They were rare. It shows a lot of, like, money. Honestly, it just shows that Abraham was balling and shot calling, as we call it around my way. I don't know how y'all call it, but that's what we call it around my way. And, and, and so you got cars, he got camels. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's how it works. And so to have 10 that the servant can take and still have more there, to have one meant you was doing good. But to have 10 that your servant can take with you, Abraham is blessed upon blessed upon blessed upon blessed. And that's just kind of showing you that God's been faithful. And it's not just the material blessings that we worried about, but I'm just saying he was also materially blessed as well. So the servant took 10 camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things 
of his masters in, in hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down. This would have been like a 900-mile journey if you take the normal path. Even if you take the straight route, it would have been like a 500-mile journey. And they're walking. This isn't like driving, right? They're walking with camels, right? So like this would have been a long journey that he took. And he made, a, uh, he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of the water at evening time, the time when the women go out to draw water. And he said, O oh Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now, may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink and who answers drink and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown my master or shown loving kindness to my master. So the first thing we want to do if we're going to date with, um, ooh, sorry about that. The first thing we're going to do if we're going to date to discover what God is doing is we got to discover a person who wants to do that with us, right? Like if only one of us wants to date to discover what God is doing and the other one doesn't, then we got a problem. So I'm going to give you five ways to pray for the person that's going to date to discover what God is doing. I'm saying you need to pray for a camel person. Yeah, yeah, y'all know me, I love acronyms, and I kept seeing the word camel, and I thought it was going to be something super theological to give you. It's not. It's just an acronym. It's just an acronym. So we're going to use it. We're going to use it. This is what God put on my heart today. All right, so you need to first pray for a Christian person. First, pray for a Christian person. You do not want to be unequally yoked. If you believe in Jesus and the person that you're dating doesn't believe in Jesus, you're going to have a problem because you're not equally yoked. We saw this when Abraham said, hey, I need you to go back to my hometown and take somebody from my people. Why? Because they believe what I believe about God being the one true God. I don't want you to take none of these women from the land that's in the, the, the promised land because they believe in other gods. A lot of people will look at this passage right here and try to say, see, that's that's why white people need to say white people. That's why black people need to say with black people. But this had nothing to do with ethnicity. This had everything to do with theology. And my wife is white. Amen. But my wife is right theologically. So I am so thankful to God, right? And so when you think about this, when you think about this, he's saying, I need somebody who believes in God. I need somebody from our context who believes Jesus Christ is the only way to be in eternity with the Father. And so therefore, my life is built on his foundation. And I need somebody who's going to build their foundation on the same foundation I'm building. So we're building the same foundation. Amen. Amen. And so what happens is this. You need to be praying for a Christian person. Me and my wife had this problem when we were dating. We were unequally yoked in Monopoly. Yeah, Monopoly. You heard it right there. Like, Monopoly? What's that? Yes. Just listen. Just listen. We would play Monopoly, and we came from two different homes with two different house rules, right? In my house, if you land on luxury tax, you put the money under free parking, and whoever lands on free parking gets the money. That's just the way you play Monopoly, right? In my wife's house, you land on luxury tax, you put the money in the middle, and the first person to row doubles gets the money. That's the dumbest rule, and if you're out there, I'm sorry, but it's still the dumbest rule. I don't care, right? And so we would literally not be able to finish a game of Monopoly because we were unequally yoked. It got to the point where I'm flipping the Monopoly uh, board like, like it's tables in the temple that Jesus was flipping, right? Like just, oh, I can't play this game. I had Boardwalk, I had Park Place, and you're gonna tell me that we don't put this money? Like I was just upset, y'all, right? Just upset. But my wife, the smarter of us, finally came to the conclusion to do something about it. She said, Rashad, I got an idea. Why don't we agree to read the instructions of the person who made the game? 
and we will both compromise our house rules for whatever the rules are to the person who created the way the game was intended to be played, right? And so we read the instructions, amen, that's my wife, right? That's my wife, I told you she's right, she's right. And, and, and when we were reading the instructions, this is what happened. The instructions, the person who created the game said that the money goes in the bank. So we was both wrong, right? And so what happened was now we were equally yoked because we were both willing to surrender what we believed from the foundation that had been built in my home and her home for who created the instructions on how it was supposed to be played. Do y'all see where I'm going with this, right? You see where I'm going with this? And so you want to find a Christian person so that you can be equally yoked. Next, the A, you want to find an attractive person to you. An attractive person to you. See, people say, man, you know, I just want to find that Christian person. I don't even care what she look like. You a lie. Ooh, you a lie. Look at this. Verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah was born, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful. She was very beautiful. And this is important because it only says in the Old Testament like seven, maybe eight times that a specific woman is beautiful. So if the Bible says you're beautiful, you're fine, right? And this is what happens. Like, this, so, so this would have been somebody that Isaac was pleased with as well. But the fact is, we got people out here so overly, you know, religious and legalistic that oh, I don't care what she looks like on the outside. I'm only worried about the inside. Well, that's good. But you better care what she looks like on the outside, too, for you. See, you don't have to be attracted to my wife. In fact, I would prefer you weren't. That's my wife. But I'm attracted to my wife. I'm attracted to my wife so much that I'm not attracted to anybody else's wife or any other woman. So it's important that you are attracted. Hey, somebody clapping like, amen. I'm attracted to mine too, right? Amen. And my wife's attracted to me. I don't have to look good to you. I'm her sexual chocolate. Can I say that? Have a little fun, y'all. Have a little fun. The next, the next thing, so you need, an attractive, you need an attractive person, but you also need a magnanimous person. That word magnanimous, I learned that word this week. I'm not going to lie to you. Like I was reading, and I, was, I learned that word this week. Magnanimous. It is, it's magnus, meaning great. Animus, meaning um, spirit or soul. It is a great soul, great spirit, great mind, not petty, willing to lay their life down, willing to do things above and beyond, charitable, generous. Look what we see about Rebecca here. It says, um, and no man had relations with her, and she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. In verse 17, look at this. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your jar. She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. Think about that. So first it says that she had to go down and come up. That means she's running hills, y'all. Anybody ever ran hills before? She's going down, coming up, going down, coming up with this little jar on her. Well, maybe it's a big jar, but whatever. It's a jar on her shoulder. And what you'll find out is this, that the camels, they drink 40 gallons of water. And there's 10 of them. There's 400 gallons of water that she has to draw for this complete stranger. She's magnanimous 
And you want to find somebody who has that same spirit, that great spirit, that great heart to look at a stranger, maybe even you, and go above and beyond, whether it's a male or a female, this is what you want. But then you want the E, the examined person. See, look at this. You go on, and in verse 21, it says, meanwhile, so while she's going up and down, drawing the, 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 uh, the water for the camels, it says, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. In other words, he sat back and watched her because it's one thing for somebody to talk it, it's another thing for somebody to walk it. I know a lot of people who are in dating situations, maybe even marriage situations, where somebody told them that they was a magnanimous person, that they was a Christian and all that. But then when it came down to actually living it out, they couldn't examine anything. They jumped the gun instead of waiting to see if that person was really that. If you are out here dating right now, you need to make sure you examine that everything they say with the talk is matched with the walk. Hey, I'm a Christian. I go to church every Sunday. Go to, go to church with the person for the first date, right? Right? If y'all sitting down, you trying to break the ice over uh, lunch or over dinner, how about you start with this? Let's pray and see if they will pray, right? Because if we can't pray together, we can't stay together. If we can't pray together, we for sure can't lay together. Amen, somebody, right? All right, all right, now I'm moving now. I'm moving now. So, so look at this. So you need an examined person, somebody who has proven that their walk matches their talk. But then you need a loving person, somebody who will actually mimic the love of Jesus Christ and lay their life down for you. Not only does she remove everything on her agenda for the day and help this stranger out, but later on when there's a little fight, uh, tension about whether or not she should leave immediately or stay with her family, she leaves everything she knows with her family, with her surroundings, and is like, this is of the Lord. I'm laying my life down to go be with my husband. This is a camel person, and this is what you want. Amen. Amen. And so we got this thing where I come from where we say game recognizes game. It means like because I have a history of cheating on my wife, I can spot a cheater or somebody who's cheating on their wife or a wife cheating on their husband because game recognizes game. Well, in the same way, a servant will recognize a servant. And Abraham just happens to send Eleazar, his servant, his best servant, who would have been serving him for many years, to go see if he can find a servant for his son. And not a servant of his son, but for his son, somebody who serves God, because that's what we're looking for. A camel person is going to be somebody who serves God. So when you look at this, you'll see that God was ahead of it, generating the situation, right? And then the Bible says that when he prayed, he prayed and was like, will you show me who you have appointed? Will you grant me this? So it's also somebody that's been granted or given by God. And then when all this went down and he noticed that this was definitely like the person, he praised God and said, thank you for guiding me. So he was guided by God. And then when they leave, the reason that they agree to let him, to let Rebecca go with him back to Isaac is because they recognize that everything you just told us about the situation shows that God's got this. So it's guarded by God. This is what you want. You want to date somebody in the situation be generated by God. I don't care if Eleazar or eHarmony is how you met your person. I just want to make sure that God is what brought you together. I don't care how he brought you together. I just want to make sure he brought you together. And you should be concerned that he brought you together as well. That's generated by God. But then you pray and you stay in communication. You listen. Is this the one you've granted to me? Is this the one you've given me? And this is the one that you've guided me to? Well, then I know that you'll guard it. Amen? Amen. So now we're going to move to the next stage. Next stage is going to be in verse uh, chapter 26. Chapter 26. Now there was a famine in the land. Besides the previous famine that occurred in the days of Abraham, remember when Abraham had the famine, he went down to Egypt. 
where he wasn't supposed to go. And that's how he came across Hagar to begin with. And that led to some baby mama drama, right? He did what God didn't ask him to do. And that's what the whole situation was. Now, there's another famine in the land. And Isaac has an opportunity now to break the generational uh, sin, to not do what his father did. And so what does he do? Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I should tell you. And that was Gerar. So when we jump to verse 6, it says, so Isaac lived in Gerar. So he did different than Abraham. He waited to hear from the Lord, and then he went and stayed where the Lord told him to be. He's already breaking some of the generational sin like you and I should be doing. But um, he's married now. In verse 7, it says, when the man of the place asked about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he was afraid to save my wife, thinking the man of the place might kill me on account of Rebekah, for she is beautiful. It came about when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. Then Abimelech said, called Isaac and said, behold, certainly she is your wife. How then did you say she is my sister? And Isaac said, man, because I said I might die on account of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might have easily lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech charged all the people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. We're in the marriage part now. So if you date to discover what God is doing, you need to marry, you need to marry to mimic what God is doing, all right? There's a whole lot of stuff about marriage that we're gonna to touch on in a series that's coming up. But today we wanna to marry, marry to mimic what God is doing. So he did the right thing in responding to the famine with faith and waiting on God. But then when he got to the place that God said, I will be with you at, then he let fear take over and he went right back to doing the same thing as his father did. His daddy did the same thing. So can you imagine this? Like, I'm just thinking about this when I was reading and I like to laugh when I read the Bible. Like, it's okay to laugh, right? And I'm reading this like, if I was talking to my wife, like, girl, buttering her up, you know, uh, Brittany is, is not one of the names, but if it was, Brittany is one of the eight names in the Old Testament that is used when talking about somebody beautiful. That means there's only other seven other people in the Old Testament that say you beautiful. Now, obviously, he wouldn't have had the Old Testament, but I'm just imagining him talking to Rebecca. You look so good. You look so good. Girl, you are fine as wine. Yes, mm -mm, girl, I'm so happy you mine. Um, tell everybody that asks that you my sister. <laughs> right? Like, that makes no sense. But, but he's like, I need to preserve my life, <laughs> not my wife. Y'all see that? I need to preserve my life, not my wife. Um, the Bible says that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and lay your life down. Abimelech uh, says something very special here. He said, do you realize how easy it would have been for somebody to lay with your wife if they think that she's your sister? You've put her in a position where you let the world see her like something she's not. And a lot of us do that when we put our, we put our life before our wife or, or, or our, I don't have nothing that runs with husband, but we put our whatever before your husband, right? Like we'll put our jobs before our wives. Some of you work, or, and before your husband, some of you work so much you got work wives and work husbands. What'd that sound like? They know more about you than your spouse know about you. And the world can't tell what's what. And so you've left, your, you, you've left your wife, you've left your husband uh, out there to defend themselves as your sister or your brother while you're spending all this time at work. I mean, you see what I'm saying? You're not laying your life down for her the way that God wants you to lay your life down for her. Yes, I am. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know if your husband's here or if you got a husband, but I'm sorry, bro. I'm just preaching it, man. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. So check, so check this out. Check this out. Check this out. So, so... We want to, like, play house. We, we want to lay and stay in the house, right? We'll even pray for the house, but we won't be slayed for the house. 
See, if the wife is the house, you want to die for your house. You want to die for your wife, die for your bride. But he didn't want to give up his life. If it, it, you know, you're my wife, unless it's going to cost you my life, then you got to be my sister to preserve me. You my husband, unless it's going to cost me, insert whatever you want to insert, then you got to be my brother. And the world's looking at you crazy. But I do like this right here. In verse 9, look at this. In verse 9, it says Abimelech, uh, no, no, verse 8, I'm sorry. It said it came about when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, certainly she is your wife. I saw something right there, y'all. You see, I, I, I did see something positive in this. You see, uh, Isaac was caressing, or the word there kind of plays off his name. His name is like laugh, play. He was playing with his wife, whatever that, kiki kin, whatever they was doing, right? Whatever they was doing, it was enough that the way that they played in public, it, it, it proved her position in his life. You see, y'all, I'm trying to play with my wife in public so you know who my wife is. You see what I'm saying? Like, like, like I just love that when he observed them together, he said, this is certainly your wife. I don't want women coming up to me with my wife here not knowing her position in my life because of my actions and the way that I live. And I don't want nobody coming up to my wife thinking that I'm not her husband because of her actions and the way that she lives. If you talk to me, you better talk to my wife, women. And if you talk to my wife, you better talk to me, man. And it should be that way in your marriage as well. I can't stand the person that wants to come up and act like my wife is not there and just talk to me and not acknowledge my wife. My wife is like, nah, we ain't playing that homeboy. <laughs> And I back her up on that. You see what I'm saying? And so they were operating in a way where you could just look and see that they belonged together even when he was lying about the position she had in his life. So I'm just, I'm calling on you to do the same. When you lay your, how do you, how do you prove that to people that are on the outside of your situation? Lay your life down. When somebody observes how you lay your life down in a unique, special way, the same, the same way that Christ laid his life down for the church. And wives, it says, wives, submit to your husbands as, as if unto the Lord. That, that's not an inequality thing. That's equally laying your life down. You see that? That's not making you less than the husband because it's telling the husband to give himself up as Christ gave himself up for the church on the cross. You Equally lay your lives down for one another and let that be the foundation of your marriage. Amen. 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 So then we go to the end of chapter 26, verse 34. It says, when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judah, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite. And Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Now, it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son Esau and said to him, my son. And he said to him, here I am. Isaac said, behold, now I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare a savory dish for me such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat so that I may so that I may bless, oh, so, excuse me, so that my soul may bless you before you die, before I die. Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for the game to bring home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, behold, I heard your father speaking to your brother Esau saying, bring me some game, prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there that I may prepare them a savory dish for your father such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat so that he may bless you before his death. Lots of scripture there lots of scripture there. So this is now we're moving from the marriage to the parenting. We want you to parent 
to participate with in God is doing. Some of us parent to protect what we want to do with our children. Some of us parent to produce what we want from our children. Some of us parent to even push our children to things that they don't even want to do instead of asking God, what do you have for my child and how can I participate in that, right? And sometimes we even let the, the children become lords of our lives. Their sports schedules is lording over our lives where we have put their sports schedule first. And then we're devastated when this lord, this idol, our child that we've put up and done all this sacrificial offering to decides they don't even want to play that sport no more. And it breaks you because you made that person lord. And so what happens is we want you to parent in a way that is participating and trying to find out what God has for your child instead. In this situation, first and foremost, Esau is married two women of the land. Now, Abraham was adamant in his final words saying, I don't want Isaac marrying nobody from this land because they don't agree with what we agree with. So go somewhere else. Now, Esau, is, whether it's his rebelliousness or Isaac's parenting, I don't know. It doesn't tell us, but it's probably a little bit of both. And now Esau got two women from the land who is being a headache for Rebekah. And a headache for, for, for Isaac as well. But now here's the thing. Early on in the text, God tells Rebekah that, um, that Jacob is going to be the one that's ruling over Esau, that Jacob is actually going to be the one that's blessed and all this. And so they know, Rebekah knows this. Isaac knows this. And yet Isaac, when he calls to bless his sons, which should have been his sons, he only calls for Esau. He's trying to circumvent God's plan it says earlier in the text as well, that's why you got to go read it yourself, that Esau was his favorite because Esau was like a manly man. Jacob was like a mama's boy. You know what I mean? So he, he loved Esau and Rebecca loved Isaac and you got all this stuff. And what's happening is you find that they're not on the same foundation. They're parenting differently because they're not parenting to participate in the plan of God. They got their own plans that they're trying to participate in. And so this creates all kinds of drama because what goes on to happen is like Jacob ends up deceiving Esau. They hate each other. They want to kill each other. He has to go away to another land. And I mean, it's just all kinds of drama and it leads to a messed up family. That's a lot of information that I just gave you in like a 30 minute span. I want to summarize it like this. I want to summarize it like this. We've heard of Isaac and we've heard of Rebecca. We've heard of Esau and Jacob. But right there in the beginning, Eleazar, the servant, the unnamed servant, is the key to all of this, in my opinion, in terms of how to be single, how to date, how to be married, how to parent, how to grandparent. The servant had a master that he loved, that he loved, a master who had proven over time that he's taking care of him. And so he surrendered to whatever the master said. If we would just have an Eleazar mentality about ourselves, lay our lives down in any stage of life we are in and simply surrender to discovering what God has for us, we will build a foundation that will move us from a messed up situation to a blessed up situation. Yeah. And so what does that look like? Well, the greatest example we have to show you is Jesus Christ. And that's my last point. We want you to build your family on a firm foundation by building your family on his love. You see, I can give you all of this talk from the Bible. It's more than self-help. It's truth. Okay, this is truth. It's all there. But none of it matters if you don't understand the ground, the, the foundational thing of the love of Jesus Christ. And so just think about this. Just think about who you are, whether you're a believer or a non-believer. If you're a non-believer, what are you serving? What are you building on? I guarantee you it shakes. And if you're a believer, if you're not building on what you know to build on, I guarantee you it shakes. 
If you're dating based on other things than what we just spoke about, that can be removed, that can change, these things can shake. If you're married and you're building your marriage on, on your money and your materials and all that, all that stuff can be taken from you and destroy your marriage. If you're parenting with, with hopes of a future that, that, that you can't plan and that you can't protect, but you put all your happiness and your joy in that, and then something changes tragically, and that, then, then, then this is why it destroys you because you're building your life on foundations that can be removed, that can be shaken. But if you build it on the one thing that doesn't change, God, if you build it on the love of Jesus Christ, who looks at all of us and says, without me, you are not with him, period. You are sinners, all of you, including me. And we are separated from eternity with God the Father because of our sin. And he looks at us in this magnanimous spirit and says, I will pour myself out of my comfort, my privilege, out of, out of, out of my advantages, out of all my ability. I will pour myself out for you because I love you. And I will lay my life down for you before you've done anything for me because I love you. Could you imagine looking for a spouse to date with that qualification first? And biblically it makes sense because it says the wedding day is at the end when Jesus returns for his bride, right? So until then, what stage are we in? He died on the cross, that was like him proposing. Will you marry me? The Holy Spirit being like the engagement ring saying that he's coming back for you. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? A man or a woman giving up their lives for you on the front end before the vows were made on the wedding day. That's how you want to date. And could you imagine carrying the, the, the discovering of what God is doing into your marriage to where you're still trying to discover what God is doing, but then you're also mimicking the love that you've had as a result of being a child of God through Jesus Christ and then raising your children to understand that as well while you're watching what God is doing in them. This is how you reverse everything that's going on with your family right here. It's the gospel. It's the good news. And so I'm inviting you today, today. If you're somebody among us who doesn't believe, we love you. You don't need to believe before you can belong among us. But who's loving you the way that I just told you in your life? Nobody. There's nobody who loves you the way Jesus loves you, giving his life for you before you even believe in him. And for those of you who believe, you know this love. So why would you look for anything less out of a potential spouse? And if you're already in these situations, God doesn't say, find a way out. He says, let me in. This doesn't mean you go leave your unbelieving spouse that you're married to right now because you're unequally yoked. No, 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 he says, let me in. Don't leave them, let me in. This doesn't mean you give up on your child who's not doing it the way, no, he says, let me in. Now, if you're dating somebody, you might want to let them out. <laughs> I'm just saying. So we invite you to build your life on this love of Jesus Christ. It is the firmest foundation, it is the firmest foundation to stand on. And it changes things from messed up to blessed up, just like that, just by trusting in him. Let's stand and pray, let's stand and pray. Good sermon, y'all? Yeah. Amen, I'm enjoying this one. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for the example and the answer 
to all of these questions regarding singleness and dating and marriage and parenting. Father, we thank you for Jesus. I'm asking that everybody who's here under the sound of my voice, Father, that right now that they determine in their hearts and their minds, Father, to respond to the message of you calling out for them to be servants like Eleazar. Father, just those who, who remove their agendas, who remove their plans, all the things we talked about last week, and Father, move into literally building everything on the foundation of your son's love for us. Looking at those examples and saying, this is what I would require of somebody who wants to be with me, and this is what I would require of myself, Father, if I want to be with them. And then to continue on that by just living out the gospel because, Father, marriage is the living illustration of the gospel. A husband acting as, 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 as Jesus and laying his life down and, 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 and the wife responding the way the church responds to that death saying, I do. And then, Father, may we, may we move into our parenting, looking at the situations of us raising our children and, and give up on what we've already predetermined is the plan the way that we want to push them. And instead, Father, just participate and pursue what you're doing in their lives already. We're asking for answers this morning. And yet, Father, we're content with the fact that we have the one answer we need, your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.